You know, it's really hard to believe that it's already the 14th of June, 2008, and, uh, well, we've been doing this for about 35 times so far. It is No Agenda, coming to you from the Curry Manor in the United Kingdom. I'm Adam Curry. And here in the United States of America, Northern California, I'm John C. Dvorak. Hmm. Yeah, Johnny boy, how you doing? It's foggy today. Really? Oh, it's uh, it's been nice here. We've had a pretty good week. Well, it's been nice and hot here all week, but the uh, we're getting our look at like looks like our classic California summer weather, where the fo- where it's cold and foggy in the morning, and then it might break up, and then it gets nice and warm in the afternoon. Of course. Um, oh, this is kind of weird. Hold on, something something really weird is going on here, John. Hold on. Uh, oh wow, my uh, <laughs> that's weird. All of a sudden, my, uh, well, uh, all of a sudden, my microphone started to the the fader just went down automatically. Okay, seems to be fixed. No worries, we're good. Yeah, is this one so of those? Sounds the same. Yeah, was this one of those Mark Twain? Uh, what is it? Uh, the coldest winter was summer in San Francisco. Is that what he was famous for? Yeah, or uh, July, I think, or July, I think he may have said. Because actually, July is when it really is. It, it doesn't warm up. It's just July. People come out to California. <laughs> it's actually funny. It's a, like a local joke. I mean, because people will come out from all over the world to San Francisco in the like July 10th, which you would think would be like one yeah, of the nice worst. Warm, right? Would imaginably be hot, hot yeah, days. Yeah. yeah. Right, and it'll be fogged in and freezing, and it, and the fog never goes away, and it can be just chilly. And uh, even the locals, actually, it's kind of amusing because every year you kind of say, well, you know, you, you always think about it. Then when it rolls around, you remember it. But you, even the locals sometimes are caught off guard, and you float around without, you know, the sweaters that you need to be wearing in July. And uh, I've warned people, I said, you know, if we're going to come out, I mean, it's not always that way, but it's most often that way. And I always warn people if they're coming to the San Francisco Bay Area in the middle of summer that they're, you know, going to be in for a shock. That said, you can always go up to the Napa Valley. It's nice and warm up there. And, you know, that said, uh, over here in the United Kingdom, which, of course, has a reputation for being uh, horribly damp and uh, chilly and cold and foggy and windy. In the summertime, you know, I've been here now. This is the third one, two, three. This will be our fourth summer, I think. And it's just, you know, yeah, you get clouds and rain. It's seasonal, but uh, it's really quite nice. And the women in London, man, when it gets above like 71 degrees, who boy, they start dressing like it's a thousand degrees. <laughs> they're not used to the hot weather, so they have to take their clothes off. I think it's different. It's, it's not that they're not used to it. I think it's a cultural thing where they're basically saying to the outside world, um, we have great weather here. Look, see, see how, how, how warmly, how, uh, how we're dressed for the heat. Maybe the, uh, I think they just like to take their clothes off. Man, we got a shitty connection today. You were great when we started off and now you're coming through like, uh, well, you know what happened? Oh, it, it, the, it the connection, the connection kind of fell apart when you had that microphone anomaly. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Well, it's coming in and I mean, you're, you're, you're legible. No problem. I read you four instead of five. Yeah, well, you're uh, very. Ever since that microphone anomaly, you have been uh, flaky, John. I don't think that was uh, since the microphone anomaly. I think that's uh, been that way for the past twenty-five years, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> you use that joke every time. Do I really? I, I need some new material. I got to call John Stewart. Have him write some new shit for me. I'm telling you, it's that you've used that at least three times on this show. 
Well, when you get to be 43, you're allowed to, you know, make age jokes over and over again. I'm noticing that, you know. So, uh, what's on the agenda? That are there? Uh, what's on the no agenda? And what's going on? I mean, the only thing news that I've seen that's kind of interesting is that Ireland, I guess, voted uh, no to the EU, and I, that's uh, that showed up on our blog. Yeah, well, that's uh, something I've been tracking on uh, Daily Source Code for uh, past couple of weeks. Uh, did we? Didn't we talk about this last week? We did. We did touch on it. We talked we? about. Yeah, we did. We talked about how Ireland can save the world by, you know, right. uh, <laughs> yeah. rejecting, <laughs> rejecting the EU. So, here, so I'll recap them because I'm I'm really deep into this, and it's it really it's very interesting because we're we're watching the formation of of a huge entity with 500 million people known as Europe, um, uh, and each of the 27 member countries are actually known as states so uh, it's in a way it's a it's kind of like the united states but in many ways not but they um, so essentially the background of this in 2005 the european um, <laughs> parliament uh, in which uh, sits in brussels actually alternates between brussels and um, strasbourg um, i think every other month or something they they change location some kind of dumb political thing um, they put together a constitution, and they called it the constitution, and it was uh, filled with, uh, it was a lot of language, very lawyer-esque type language, uh, very hard to understand, um, not as simple as, for example, the uh, Constitution of the United States, which, you know, is, in, you know, anyone can kind of read that and understand, you know, it's open to interpretation, obviously, and it's always under attack for interpretation, but it's reasonably easy, easy to understand. Um, and so this went to, um, to all the states in 2005 and, uh, they had to vote. And I think every country held a referendum, which is a public vote, you know, yay or nay, we're for this or against this. And two countries in particular who were pretty disappointed with their governments at the time, uh, France and the Netherlands, uh, voted it down, uh, by a, a rather large margin. And so then, you know, every member state has to ratify uh, this constitution uh, or any document of this scope in order for it to go into effect. So that basically fell apart because of uh, the Dutch and the French voting it down. So um, what appears to be kind of like a railroading um, move in the past couple of years, they came up with a new, a new treaty called the Lisbon Treaty. And it's really nothing other than a document with a whole bunch of references to the original constitutional document with, you know, it's kind of like it's, it is, again, it's a legal document, you know, change this word for that word, change the word constitution to Lisbon Treaty. And the main reason for that is if it's not a constitution, you don't necessarily have to call a referendum for it. So the big crit criticism uh, of Brussels for the past couple of years as this Lisbon Treaty has been coming to fruition is supposed to was supposed to start January 1st 2009 um, was that most of the the member states just kind of like passed it through their governments really fast no referendum um, except for one country which was Ireland and they um, for whatever reason uh, they differed from the other states and they said you know well, we're going to hold a referendum anyway um, and I think the same thing basically happened with the addition of the fact that, that you know, so first of all, people can't read it. Uh, I've read it. It's, it's very complicated. I certainly don't understand all of it. I've asked uh, ministers of European Parliament for explanation on some points, uh, have gotten some satisfactory response. But again, I'm like, you know, well, where can I read what you're saying in this document? And there's all kinds of protocols and directives and all. I mean, it's just a, it's a it's a huge mess. They didn't communicate it to the public. A lot of these countries are up in arms. 
saying, you know, hey, w- what the hell happened here? You guys ratified something and we don't understand what's going on. And I think that was had a lot to do with the Irish who by a margin of, I think it was 55 to 45% or something like that. They basically turned it down. And this is, uh, yeah, this is a big deal because now it's all fallen apart. And the main things, as far as I can tell, the main um, drivers that uh, Brussels was really going for is one, a possible common taxation across all of Europe. Uh, and two, oh, actually three things, uh, uh, common taxation, common immigration policy, and probably the most important one, um, a common army, a European army, which if uh, necessary would uh, also go outside of Europe to act in whatever theater uh, they might be called to. And understandably, uh, people... Uh, I'm just going to say yes to that. No one got the choice except for Ireland, and there you go. They said no. So uh, um, this thing is basically kaput. It's hilarious. Well, it's uh, the- it, it's it's frightening because you know now we're now we have to see what happens. You know, both Sarkozy, president of France, and uh, Angela Merkel, who is uh, prime minister uh, of Germany have said, well, it's not really kaput. Uh, you know, it certainly won't be implemented by January 1st, 2009, but they've got to go back because it's all, all these legal things. That's all these guys live for in, in Brussels is, you know, is to get this document set up to to be able to execute on whatever their plans on, which, of course, the public has no freaking idea, no clue as what it actually is. It looks like, sounds like some sort of a fascist takeover of the entire European continent. Thank you. Well, this, of course, you know me, Mr. Uh, conspiracy Theory. That's exactly what it is. Of course, it's a fascist, ta- fascist takeover. The uh, common army would have me concerned if I was French. Uh, why particularly French? Well, I mean, because it would, the common army is going to be run by the Germans. Let's face reality. Hmm. Good point. Well, a lot of it's going to be run by... In fact, that is another part of the treaty I forgot to mention. Um, and I don't have all the exact numbers in front of me, but um, the way the way it's set up, if something goes to vote in the European Parliament, which, of course, most laws will now have to go to Europe instead of to your individual countries, you have to have a majority, but not just a majority of member states. I think you have to have at least 15 states that will agree with you but you also have to have a majority of people. So basically, if France and Germany, if they decide anything they want, they, together they have enough people to pass a vote. And then all they, all they have to do essentially is just call up these little member states, which are completely reliant on them anyway, and just say, okay, we need, uh, we need 13 more of you guys to say yes. Um, which basically means that if 15 smaller states got together and said, hey, you know, which is a majority in number of states... Um, they still wouldn't be able to pass anything because they don't have enough people in these little mini states. So, it's uh, to me, it's kind of a clusterfuck. Uh, it sounds terrible. I mean, I can't see how anything can get done. So, I think it's going the, the only way, the only solution is to pass broad-reaching laws that have uh, sketchy uh, powers attached to them. So, you end up with a fascist state. Exactly. That's the only way it's going to work. That's yeah. Well, if you go back and look at history, I think you could see a lot of parallels in this. Uh, well, yeah. Well, nothing quite that this ambitious. This is the probably the most interesting. I mean, they've always been trying to unite Europe. 
I mean, if you ever see you go back to, uh, uh, I guess you could go back to Charlemagne. At some, you know, I mean, but but meanwhile, you have the Napoleonic Wars to try, you know, in some ways, you're trying to uh, unite Europe, and then you have the the fascism, which was a movement that tried to unite Europe. Uh, of course, it always, you know, it never got very far because it had to be done by force. And I and I think this is the. I'm not absolutely sure. Some European historian may want to chime in on this, but uh, I don't know of any kind of bloodless coup uh, attempt that has been that has been made on this sort of a scale which is essentially what we're looking at here which is the uh the takeover of all of europe by a, a single entity you know out of belgium of all places uh, uh even though it may be uh, the puppet masters may be elsewhere and i think they're you know combined uh well, I mean, John, obviously, where did this all start? This started after the Second World War. It started with the United Nations. That, that, and, of course, the United Nations uh, famously started with a, uh, was it like an $8 million donation from um, the Rockefellers, I believe. Um, you know, that, that uh, combined with um, uh, NATO and a couple other organizations like this, uh, essentially, once they um, once they got the euro in the common currency, which uh, officially took took hold in two thousand, and I think it went into effect everywhere either two thousand one or two thousand two. Uh, that also meant they could combine all the central banks. So we have you know a European central bank, um, which maintains you know uh, what central banks do, except now not just you know now it's all over. 500 million people who are using this, or almost all of them are using the same currency. It's still kind of interesting how uh, countries like the United Kingdom get away with not, um, you know, not converting to the euro. And I think, uh, what, it's one other country, isn't it? Um, Sweden, I think? I think Sweden has their own, yeah. Yeah, they have the, I crone, think. the kroner or whatever. Right. Um, so it, 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 even though they have a little, even though the new the, the new British money and then the new Swedish money, they have to. The you know I went there a few years ago when they made this transition, and I had some pound notes, but the pound notes that are only acceptable now, generally speaking, have to have a little EU stamp yep. someplace <laughs> on the note. Yeah. Well, yeah. Everyone everyone changed their money one way or the other. And yeah. if you have, so it's a pound note, but it's got this little EU thing. So if you have the old pounds, because I always have a drawer full of you know alien money because I travel, so I grab. Put it in the thing, and so I have some some money to use buy a cab without having to change money when I show up someplace. So I show up and I drop down some pound notes that look just exactly the same. No, 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 you <laughs> no. can't use these. <laughs> Your money's no good here, Mister Dvorak. But like, it's really no good here. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no good. So I said, "What am I supposed to do with this?" And I said, "Well, you can you can go to certain banks and they'll <laughs> swap it out." And so I went to the bank, swapped it out, and I got exactly the same money back, except for this little EU. bitty, yeah. there's a little bitty uh, bug on there, a little bitty thing that says EU. So I um I did learn a couple things. I spoke to uh, a Dutch minister of European Parliament, and he said, "You know what? We have no Plan B." We don't know. He's he's going to be in uh, Strasbourg uh, starting Monday. They're all uh, getting together and trying to figure out what they're going to do. They have no plan B. They expected everybody just to roll over. Yep. Well, everyone did roll over. I mean, if you look at there's some great video online. I put one on Curry.com. You have to go back a week or two, like a week and a half ago. Um, 
it's uh, of course it's one of the uh, the British members of European Parliament stands up and has this whole rant, and he literally says, "You know, you guys are horrible." And, you know, basically, without saying it, he said this is almost like a fascist state. You know, you're all railroading this thing through without referendum. Uh, in each individual country, you're doing it because you're afraid that people will actually vote it down again. You know, you're doing all this backroom politics. Um, you know, that's uh, they had no plan B. That's uh, the, every single um, member of the parliament and the commission all said that they expected it to, to go through. And only Ireland, they thought, you know, ah, fuck it, Ireland, you know, no problem. And, but there were um, there were ministers of foreign affairs from almost every single. Um, country in uh, in europe who were campaigning in ireland either for or against i think a lot of them were against uh or certainly if they were uh, opposition parties uh, there was a, it was a re- it was a really really intense it was it, it's a big deal it is still a big deal you know i, I haven't picked up my uh, my weekend copy of the financial times but uh, i think this is this is gonna be messed up for a while of course it happens at exactly the same moment we're in the middle of the largest media event Europe can even imagine, which, of course, you know is... What? A European football championships. Oh. I mean... It, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I can't imagine anything bigger than that. There is nothing bigger in Europe than the, than the European uh, football championships. There really isn't. Um... And, you know, no coincidence there, I'm sure, that all this is going down at the same time. Well, I don't know. You don't think it's a go? You think there's some, you think there's a connection? I don't, I'm not getting that one. Of course there's a connection. The media is dominated by sport. No, look, no one wants anyone to understand this document. Otherwise, they would have made it understandable. So you got to be suspicious at least. People aren't stupid anymore. This is what these guys forget. They make all this shit available on their website. You know what? People actually take the time. They download it and they look at it and say, what the hell is this shit? I don't get it. You know? So they're old. They're, they're, they're thinking and acting old-fashioned. You know, people are just not stupid anymore. No, they are. They're not stupid. They're old-fashioned, those people. And, and a lot of them are younger than I am, believe it or not. But they're still acting really old-fashioned. Like, well, we can ramrod this through. You know, it, it, anyway, here's a here's kind of a fun story on the side. Uh, so yesterday, I was uh, set to fly back from uh, Rotterdam. I paid a quick visit, and I was going to fly. And usually, I go to Hilversum, some other small field. But for a number of reasons, I decided to go to the uh, to the rather bigger airport, Rotterdam. Uh, and they have a jet center, which, of course, what it sounds like, it's meant for jets. It's for private jets. So here I come in my little, you know, Cessna 182, right? And I park it uh, in the jet parking. I like it because, you know, they roll out a red carpet. They carry my bags. You know, they take care of the airplane. So it's fine. So I'm going to leave. And, um, you know, The Hague, of course, where the, where the government uh, in the Netherlands sits is uh, right, right next to Rotterdam. And uh, so I roll up. Uh, a friend of mine dropped me off in his, like, his Volkswagen uh, um, bus, <laughs> like a VW bus. And I already saw like a couple of official-looking cars outside. And so I walk in and like, oh, I see there's the, there's the Royal Jet is uh, on the tarmac. John literally nose-to-nose with my plane, right, which, of course, was just funny by <laughs> itself. And this is a, uh, you know, it's like Where's a, your camera? Where's your camera? I'm, a, I'm such a dick. Well, let me tell you, I, I didn't even think about that because here's what happened. So I walk in, I see like, it's like 50 suits, right? And there's a couple of waiting rooms in this place and they're all filled up and all these guys have orange ties on. I'm like, oh, of course, they're going to go watch the Netherlands play France in Switzerland tonight. And I knew that the, uh, the Minister of Foreign Affairs, Frans Timmermans, 
because uh, I spoke to him on the on the Dutch radio earlier in the week, I knew that he was going, right? So I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. He must be here. And I'd never met the guy. So so I, uh, I ask around. I'm like, uh, you know, so I'm one of these, you know, one of these suit guys. I'm like, hey, is... Uh, is uh, Mr. Timmermans here, you know, the Minister of Foreign Affairs? And the you know, guy's immediately like, uh, why? Why do you want to know? I said, well, you know, I, I, I met him on the phone the other day, and I just wanted to shake his hand. Do you have an appointment with him? I said, no, dude, I'm here. I'm going to go fly on my own freaking plane. I'm leaving. I just wanted to say hi. Is he around? So while this dialogue is going on, this shithead is, like, staring me down. Um, this woman walks by and says, oh, Mr. Curry, yes, hi, I'm Bonnie. You know, your producer spoke to me and, uh, um, oh, please come on through. I want you to meet uh, Mr. Timmermont. So I walk in and uh, into the waiting room and uh, say, hey, You I should have given the raspberries to that creep. Well, no, wait, the raspberries gets even better because he followed behind me and what he saw made him total shitless. So... I walk in, I walk straight to the guy. And it's like, there's like 10 guys in this waiting room. I say, hey, Franz, because we're on a first name basis. Franz, how are you doing? And yeah. So he's like, oh, yeah, it's good to meet you. And I, you know, I'd love to talk again. And says, oh, let me, let me introduce you to this guy over here. And I turn to the right. It's the prime minister, Balkanende. And I'm like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. And the, and the, and the prime minister goes, oh, yes. And he's kind of a dorky Harry Potter looking guy. You know, you, if you see him, you just laugh. And um, he says, oh, yes, well, I know you, of course. You're famous from radio and television. And I said, you know, you're famous from radio and television, too. He says, oh, we're kind of like colleagues. And I said, well, <laughs> don't I just wish we were colleagues? So it was, you know, it was like this really weird encounter. And we stood there and we talked for like 10 minutes uh, about uh, football. Meanwhile, the referendum was taking place at that very moment. The results came out no more than like an hour <laughs> after that because I was listening in the plane to the BBC World Service. Uh, and you know these guys couldn't give a shit. They were they were you know the they were jetting off to Switzerland <laughs> to go watch the game. By the way, Holland killed France four to one. What an awesome game that was! Holland has a real chance this year in the championship. You know that's just funny. I, uh, Ed Campbell predicted that you'd say something about this stupid football game uh, on the show here today, and and, and told me to mention that. You, I, I guess I don't know whether this is true or not, but I guess the coach of the of the Dutch team looks like a serial killer. The, to the coach of the Dutch team, who is Marco from Boston, was one of the best players Holland ever knew. He does not look like a serial killer at all. That would be the French coach who looks like a serial killer. Oh, okay. Well, maybe but, I have it mixed yeah, up. Yeah, he has the wacky, like, curly, freaked-out hair. Oh, no, no, no. It was the French guy, if, if anyone's referring to serial killers. Um, well, but, but of course I got to mention it. I'm really proud. And by the way, all of Britain's behind the Netherlands because half the team plays for UK football teams anyway. Yeah, everybody plays for UK football teams or Brazil. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, so it's a uh, it's a mess, man. It really is. Well, uh, I congratulate the Irish. Uh, me too. I, I I think the I think it's fantastic. And uh, you know what was gonna you know what this is it this is all headed in one direction the way I see it. No matter because they're gonna keep trying to ramrod this EU down everybody's throat. Yep. You know. I mean, I think a trade agreement between the countries works out, but to have a single government, so you have uh, you know the the Germans telling the French how to make cheese, really <laughs> seems to be a problem. I, I don't I don't think it's exactly that. Uh, I think the the biggest problem is none of the people who are making the laws in Brussels have been elected. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's bad. That's like a real problem, and and people don't want that. And you know, it's it's worrisome. You know, you don't think about these things often. You know, 
But then you realize, you know, shit, wait a minute. You know, this really is going to impact my life one way or the other. For example, July 1st, all of Europe, all member states are adding three, I think it's 3% or three cents, but like three, let's just say 3% additional tax to diesel to combat CO2 emissions. And at this moment in time, the last thing anyone needs is any rise in the, in the cost of diesel. And so none of the individual states can really do anything about it. So everyone just kind of has to implement it. You know, that's a perfect example of, fuck no. You know, we need, we, you know, we need to be able to change. And not every state has the same prices, by the way, because uh, there's, you know, there's different, uh, different pricing and different taxing structures. It's, it's very confusing. And all people see is money flying out of their pocket. That's all they know. Yeah, well, that's a bad thing. But anyway, this thing all looks to me, looking at it from a long-term kind of perspective, especially if you even have a clue about the history of Europe, That, and then if you think about the way the United States' history went, it looks to me as though at some point, if this thing actually started to come together, one of the states would would start to resist. I mean, I mean, the smart money already resisted completely. Norway and Switzerland never joined this operation, and as far as they're concerned, they don't. It's something they don't need. And but these other guys who kind of agreed to it, at some point, if they start to resist, there's going to be what amounts to a civil war. Especially if you have a national, you know, an army that is a, a, an EU army, which will be a German army, um, seems to me. And you get some little country like Portugal or Spain deciding that they don't like what's going on. They're going to just march in there and take them over. It's just going to be a mess. Well, I think what's kind of what's kind of weird about it is that the citizens of uh, of Europe get along fine. You know, uh, we we trade with each other. We visit each other's countries. We do business together. Uh, we have cheap airlines, so we can visit each other. We're on the internet. We're talking to each other. We're emailing. We're cybersexing. Yet uh, somewhere in Brussels, all these people are like doing all kinds of other shit. And as you say, like now all of a sudden, an army's going to march be- march into a country. Like you know, it's it feels so wrong. Well, it is wrong. And I'm against it, but, you know, I'm just over here carping. Yeah, it's like the States is uh, is all fine and dandy, politically speaking. <laughs> yeah, well, we have our own armies marching around. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's not... A- it's not as if, but I mean, who needs another situation? I mean, the thing about, uh, I don't know, it's just I've never been... Uh, I've never subscribed to the EU ever actually working out from the from the first time I've heard about it to, to, to today. I'm, I'm a skeptic about it. And every time one of these situations falls apart, like this with this Irish deal, uh, I'm just going, there you go. You know, I mean, it's just like uh, it's not working. There's too many languages over there. And these would have to, I don't know. I don't want to get into it because I'm not that knowledgeable. What else do we have to talk about? Um. Yeah, shit. I don't know. It's no agenda, man. I'm I'm not planning stuff. Well, you know, you know there's somebody's wanted here. me to talk about that. We have a, a, a commentator over here who's become quite popular. In fact, there was an NPR special about him the other day. I was just in Northern Michigan giving a speech to a newspaper group, telling them, you know, that the, <laughs> I don't know how well over how how it went over, but I'm going to turn this speech into a monograph because it's pretty much outlines I think what's wrong uh, with. The assumptions made by newspapers when they think they're going they're going to be able to go online, and uh, it's anyway. So, but I'm floating around this part of Michigan, which I've never been to before, and it's absolutely beautiful. 
and um, you know, there's this northwestern uh, Michigan along the along Lake Michigan up onto the Upper Peninsula, which is called the UP up there. They never say Upper Peninsula for some reason. But anyway. Um, so I'm listening to this this special on NPR about uh, this uh, uh, guy who who does MSNBC, uh, Olbermann. Oh, Keith Olbermann, sure. Oh, okay, yeah, we we were going to talk about this, right? I remember. Yeah, Keith Olbermann, and somebody says it was a, a British listener to the show said, you know, what is the deal with this guy? Uh, because he seems to be, uh, you know, I don't know, he's getting attention overseas. I'm not not sure what what the international implications are but he wanted a little background keith olbermann started off years and years ago as a commentator uh on espn and he's the one um, along with a couple other guys i don't know if he invented it but but espn in its early days was still trying to figure out where it was headed as a broadcasting uh entity and he is one of the people who became the wisecrack oriented um sports guy, you know, where you'd be given sports highlights and then you'd have snide comments to make constantly uh, about whatever you were witnessing. I didn't know that part anyway, about his background. That's interesting. I didn't know that he came from uh, ESPN. Yeah, he came, his, 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 his roots as a TV guy in, in terms of his popularity, I'm sure he did other TV someplace locally or whatever, because he had to, but it was at ESPN and he got so good and so popular at ESPN that he, the way the story goes, and this, a lot of this is folklore, of course, uh, but he got pop, but this is a fact. I mean, he was extremely popular and he wanted more money <laughs> and Disney basically just fired him. <laughs> And so uh, that, and it got a bunch of people mad. In fact, my stepson Eric is still mad at Disney for firing Keith Olbermann like 15 years ago. I guess he was a real fan of his. Anyway, so Olbermann then kicked around for a while, and he never really found himself. And then he showed up at MSNBC doing this kind of political show instead of sports. He gave up on sports, and he and he, but his style is exactly the same. It was like just snide remarks, and uh, you know that. Uh, in his own distinctive way, because I do snide remarks, but I don't do them his style. He has a, a unique style. And, it, you know, and he had a show, and the show's been on for a number of years, and he had got zero traction whatsoever. Then he decided to start focusing on bush bashing. And so he became a, a number one bush basher. And this is what, and all of a sudden during the election, uh, uh, this last election, uh, primary elections, his show on MSNBC or him doing commentation or commentating on MSNBC became the number one thing. And they, they actually took over the whole scene from Fox. They beat Fox. They beat CNN. They, they did all. They just and it was all because Oberman was bush bashing during the whole uh primary season and people were loving it yeah, honestly so, I've, I've i've watched a couple of his videos because uh, i you know i don't uh, i don't get to see it live on uh, on msnbc but there's a lot of youtube videos and probably once every two weeks someone will send me a link to a keith olbermann uh, state and it usually starts out with mr bush you're a liar you know uh you have consistently lied to this country you are you know he's almost he's not just this short of calling bush a war criminal which he might have even said uh, somewhere along the line and i must admit that um just about every single rant he's done i have enjoyed thoroughly yeah of course i mean it's just fun to watch but you know the thing is it's very uh it's very uh 
partisan and, and, and pretty focused on Bush and the Republicans to a lesser extent. I mean, he did a John McCain thing recently that one of my uh, bloggers uh, put up blog, and you know I looked at him and I you know he's essentially doing what John Stewart does uh, only with a little more a little more mean spirited version of John Stewart where you take uh, some guy who says yeah no I think that we should close this bridge and then you find 45 examples of him saying that we should open the bridge right right right, right. you know, you know what? clips yeah. clips from the archives this is so what this listener sent in I remember now he said, this is a thing that is now, another one of those links that I get sent a thousand times. Please don't stop sending him. I appreciate it. Um, and it was uh, John McCain on the Today Show with Matt Lauer. And, and I think it was actually taken out of context now that I, now I look at the video. Um, but the essence was pulling the troops out of Iraq. John McCain's quote was, that's not important. What's important is uh, no casualties. And uh, and so that's what this entire rant, uh, uh, Oberman rant, was built around. Did, did I? Did I? Uh, yeah, yeah, no. I, it, because he used the term, that's not important. Um, and the thing that McCain's doing is he, he is parsing a little too much for my taste. But but if you start really listening to him, he's almost saying that uh, I, I mean, I'm still of this opinion. I think McCain's the only one with the standing who could actually just take office, and then the next day say, we're pulling all the troops out. I looked right. this over. I don't like what I'm seeing. We're, they, they've already won. You know, we've already won over there. We're, we're removing the troops or we're keeping a small army in the green zone or something like that. I mean, yeah. he could do that. The green and zone, it, which, it, by the way, is big enough for 50 bases or some shit like that. The green zone is the size of Texas. Huge. <laughs> and uh, it's the only safe part of the country, but, you know, so they could just turn into its own country. Anyway, so um, <laughs> the green zone's a joke. I have friends, actually, that are in the green zone as we speak. And um, anyway, the... Uh, so, I mean, he could get away with that, and, and nobody else could. Uh, so I'm not convinced that, you know, he's this horrible person who wants to he was a warmonger, because if anybody's not a warmonger, it's probably him having suffered uh, uh, from a, being a prisoner of war for such a long time. Anyway, th this will all eventually shake out. But, but Olbermann has gone after him now, and he's... And, and, this last thing I thought was actually weak, and I did yeah. think it was taken out of context, and I'm not absolutely sure he's uh, going to be able to maintain this uh, this bashing uh, with, for much longer for a couple of reasons that somebody pointed out. One, MSNBC is owned by General Electric. Yeah, that's, that's not going to last long is what you're saying. And Oberman's already shown that he doesn't mind burning bridges because he already burned the Disney Bridge when he was at ESPN and uh, in some way. And uh, he probably uh, will go down in flames here, too, if he doesn't, uh, you know, even John Stewart tries to balance his act a little bit. It's not just, I mean, he's not, Oberman is obviously an Obama, like many of the uh, media here in the country. A huge. In fact, when I, I questioned this group that I was talking to, I had about 150 people that were in the newspaper industry, and I asked them how many people in the group were, were would be for McCain. You know, after prefacing it with the with the comment that you know the media is very left wing, generally speaking, and Democrats. 
And I and out of like 150 people, 100 people maybe, uh, three people raised their hand. Mm-hmm. You know, which seemed about right. One, a fourth person came up to me afterwards, which I thought was amusing, and said, "You know, I would have raised my hand too, but I just started working here. And I didn't think it would be a good idea." <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> oh great. Oh, okay, well that's good to know. So, so know, let me just say, I, I watched this clip. And just the, just about the context bit for for one moment here, I think what John John McCain answered a question, and when he said it's not important, I think he was referring to what he thinks is not important, not necessarily about the troops being pulled out. That, it's you know it, there was it just it felt like it was taken out of context. And then what really bothered me because I do like Oberman rants is it it completely came across as if. You know, he was saying, shit, I've only got until November. If I really want to keep the, keep this gig going, I got to start picking on somebody really big. And indeed, you're right. Immediately, it's like Obama spokespeople on the phone, you know, three or four of them, um, you know, then right back to, um, you know, all the so-called gaffes that McCain has made, like, uh, you know, uh, we could be in Iraq for 100 years, you know. It, it, and I don't know what McCain's thinking, you know, whether he's for or against. I really don't know at this point because, you know, there's so many conflicting information out there presented by the media. But to me, it felt really uh, contrived and, you know, making a huge thing out of something. We already know McCain's a kook when it comes to that. He's just a kook. Yeah, he is. It's yeah. an obvious coot. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we have to... Uh, but anyway, yeah, I think I agree with that. I felt that the thing was a stretch. And it's almost as though you're trying too hard to be mean about this, you know. Because right? yeah. it wasn't making the point. I mean, it's not like he... you know. And, they, and I, in fact, they had even my own uh, bloggers say, you know, it was they keep using the word gaff. And I'm trying to think, what's the gaff here? I mean, where, where was a gaff? I mean, he's just saying what he said. What he says, I, a gaff is where you say something really stupid, like you know, just a potato spelled with an e. You know, something Dan Quayle has made gaffs all the time, and Bush makes gaffs all the time. He says dumb things, but well, I mean, where, where is the gaff technically? I, I'm not seeing one. I'm just seeing you know, just be contradictory. You, you know, know what, if you, you know what, what he said me? three years ago is not what he's saying today. I mean, but who doesn't do that? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, th- that's the whole thing. You know, now the big journalistic thing has become uh, to catch somebody on their words, which is a very internet thing, by the way. You know, you, you and and boy, can you interpret words differently? Let alone what comes out of someone's mouth. So that's like the Hillary Clinton thing, where Hillary Clinton said, "You know, under sniper fire, we arrived at the at the airport," and then someone pulls the tape and finds the tape, where of course it turns out that wasn't true at all. I think that's what 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 journalists are looking for these days. Is you know, how can we catch someone on his own words? You know, how can we nail them down to something they said eons ago? Um, which you're right. People change their mind, uh, come up with uh, with different theories. Uh, thank God people's uh, opinions change. What really bothers me, though, in all of this, and it dawned on me, that there's something going on. Um, <clears throat> there are uh, conference calls, press conference calls being made, uh, particularly during this election. So I know the Obama camp has a conference call every day with reporters. Uh, then there's the, uh, of course, the Clintons. I, I don't know if they still do it, but they certainly were. Uh, McCain. Every candidate had their own conference call. And, you know, these are not like 
public conference calls. It's basically, you know, the candidates or any political party's version of talking points. And they hand them out to reporters on these conference calls, which we're not privy to. In fact, I would really love to be able to get like MP3s or or a dial-in number for all I care so I can listen into what these people have to say. But it feels like we're really one step removed from a lot of important information that is being interpreted by what I consider to be pretty much lazy journalists. Yeah, there's no reason that these things shouldn't go directly to the public to have the journalists become kind of a filter when they do such a crappy job of it. And they're all biased. I mean, everybody's like, I mean, you could just see, the, I mean, everybody's essentially all Obama. I mean, they think Obama's the next John Kennedy or something. And so they're all hoping for this, you know, this the change, as it were. You know, you know, it's like a, he's just another senator. Uh, and, and the thing about Obama, by the way, in terms of catching him with his words, he's never, he never, he's interested because he never says he anything. He doesn't say anything except change. Yeah, of course we all want change. That's that's a great message. How simple are we as Americans, dude? How fucking simple are we that we go behind the Pied Piper and just because he says change? You'll hell yeah. Of course we want change. But I have not I have yet to hear anything of substance. I totally agree. So anyway, so you can't catch him, you know, contradicting himself because he doesn't really say anything. And, and it also has I so I was listening to his ponderous style and I realized that, you know, who he sounds like if you if you start listening to him, he sounds like he's doing an imitation of Walter Cronkite. <laughs> Seriously, he's he's doing his type of speaking because it, it's an I thought it was oration, but I realize now it's 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 old fashioned network news is the style. He obviously oh, when he yeah. was a kid, it's, he was like, no, no, it's, like Paul, by, it's like Paul Harvey. This is Paul Harvey. Good day. There's out? a bit of that without the uh, without the 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 the, 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 the uh, Paul Harvey had a or still does. He has a kind of a, a, an abrupt that's hard at the beginning whereas uh, Walter Cronkite would have an abruptness and in other words they have a, the pregnant pause and then hit the word and it would be a little softer and it would be a little more amenable to a, to, a, to a network audience listening to a newscast and that's what Obama's doing I mean you're right he could probably transform himself into a Paul Harvey if he wanted to but I'm, I think that it's going to you know that style of presentation is old fashioned and I think it's going to catch up to him yeah but it is working dude I mean he's totally got people loving him yeah no I agree I mean he's a, a seems like a very likable guy that I don't and, know and even, that, you know, you know what, well, to, to me he doesn't seem like I've, a very likable guy well, I mean, he seems like, yeah, maybe you're right. I mean, there, I've heard stories that he's he's actually kind of mean-spirited and uh, one of those guys likes to boss around the hired help. Um, do, you know, know, do you know, by you the know, way, John, just before we embark on this, do you know in, that a in lot kind of, of, in kind of... You still there? Ah, oh, crap. I knew that was going to happen. Ah, uh, let's get John back on the line. Hold on. Oh, okay. We're uh, We're back. A little Skype crash there. As you pointed out, it's amazing it works at all. Uh, so, what, what, what I was going to say, you were in the middle of your rant. I was just going to say that uh, after the last show we did and we talked about Obama, I got a lot of really angry emails from people saying, who were we to bash Obama? And I'm like, you know, dude, we didn't bash. You know, if we bashed everybody. Uh, you know, I don't think we, you know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, Obama, really Obama is essentially the Macintosh of politics. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, you can't say anything. Uh. 
you can't say anything about him. Uh, you know, the thing is, again, though, the public is, you know, the, the, this is early. I mean, we're talking about the election in November. Uh, and at some, you know, this, though, everything is like we haven't even seen, you know, what's going to happen, how the, you know, the fickle public is going to react to Obama over time, especially when and if the comics take him on and the uh, and the real critics jump in and they start putting his feet to the fire and say you know okay the word change is cool but you know what does it mean i mean yeah. should we just drop the should we drop the constitution that's a change <laughs> wait, wait a minute no he, just to clarify he didn't actually say that anywhere did he <laughs> No, no, but I'm just saying. I mean, you know, if you just want change for change's sake, why don't we uh, uh, install a, a king? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, you're right. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind hearing. You know, so just getting back to Olbermann kind of in a roundabout way, you could also um, conceive that entire episode he did. And I'm sure Bubba Martin will put some uh, amazing links in the show notes. Uh, either yeah, you, you, I saw it was on Dvorak.org, obviously. So you can you can uh, find the, the video that Olbermann, of Olbermann there as well. Um, you could also construe this as being a a setup with the Obama camp. Yeah, that could be. I mean, he's obviously. I mean, it's almost, and it, it does bother me that that people who. I mean, uh, Jan Winner came on. Jan Winner came on. Jan, which is what his name should be. Yeah, Jan Winner, uh, the publisher of uh, Rolling, Rolling Stone. Stone, came on. He was on MSNBC in an interview show with um, Michael Eisner, and the two of them were going back. and And he just comes out and says he's a big, you know, they're pushing Obama. Yeah. You know, I don't know how a publication, you know, this. It, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you're just in their camp, I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, advising the public to some point, but to become a tool of propaganda, I think is another issue, and I think that's just, it's dubious. Well, I mean, even on the blog, is- we have a mi- mixed bag of people who like this and that, but we try to at least everybody gets their, you know, their opinion. It's not like one thing. I think it's. Uh- by the way, I did come up with a good one, though. My wife actually came up with it. And I, I'm promoting it. It's to it's the it's that McCain should take Hillary as the vice president. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, that's real realistic, John. Nice. It's possible. Hey, and, no, you know they were talking about possible. Lieberman. That's not possible. I think it is. Nah. I mean, what clearly happened, and this, of course, is uh, where your your theory. Uh, that uh, Hillary would get the nomination no matter what. You know, what clearly happened is that some of this seeped over into the institutional money guys, and I think they all just, you know, kind of said, well, screw it, you know, we just want a winning horse here, we'll just switch over to Obama, you know, and they started backing him, and then, you know, it was done. It was over with. Yeah, well, I think it is over with. I mean, I don't see how she can pull a rabbit out of a hat now. I think it's, uh, I mean, I thought it was possible, but she never did get that one... I mean, she couldn't get quite get the momentum back when she lost. And a lot of it stems back, and everybody will say the same thing. It stems to her arrogance at the beginning, thinking she was going to get the nomination. John Stewart had a real funny bit where he showed all these people predicting it early on and guaranteeing it. All these pundits on TV. Yeah, like you. That she was, like you. I never, well, I did. Yeah, you're right. But okay. I, yeah, I did. You're right. I'm one of them, yeah. but I'm not on TV doing it. I guess that's my. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, it makes it all right. Besides that's the fine. point, I still have the bit the other way. So uh, anyway, yeah, you're right. Then I feel bad. Um, 
So, but anyway, so the point is, is that she she was cocky at the beginning, and she had a bunch of her pals doing all the work for her. She didn't have any of the hot political consultants she, that you would normally hire. She was using her friends, you know, her sorority sisters, <laughs> and they dropped the ball. Yeah. You know, they screwed up left and right. She had to fire two different groups of them before she get on track. And by, th- by the time she got on track, she was so far behind the r- in the race that she couldn't catch up. It was a disaster. Yeah, I think it'll go down in the history books as uh, how not to do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It could, you know, total screw up. It was, I mean, it was incompetence at every imaginable level, which makes you wonder what kind of a president she'd be. <laughs> yeah, nice way to run a show, Hillary. So, I mean, it's just ba- essentially giving it away. I mean, Obama was on some interview show, and I saw him, he was with, talking to somebody in, a, on a, in his plane and talking about how he says, look at, we, look at that, you know, I can manage, check, check out what I've been doing with this election. You know, this is a management job that I'm doing here, and I'm, I'm winning. Does that say something for me? And it does in, in that regard. It definitely says that, you know, Hillary, if she was the president, she'd just lie in the office with a bunch of cronies. We'd just have another <laughs> Democratic version of Bush. And amongst all of this, a very important player in uh, in this elections in the United States passed away. Tim Russert from uh, uh, Meet the Press, which was, you know, I, and actually I saw it on your blog. That's where I first read the news and it really shocked me. It's, you know, I was like, wow, fuck. I didn't expect that to happen. Yeah, that was out of the blue. Uh, you know, one of the guys at the office was watching him. He said he saw him a week ago or something. He said he didn't look right. Maybe he had something, you know, one of those weird heart conditions. That well, yeah, well, I showed... Uh, yeah, because he's only 58. Yeah, I showed a picture to... Because, you know, obviously I talked about this with Patricia last night. And I said, so here's, uh, here's two things. First of all, you could say there's a conspiracy because, of course, he does have a lot of knowledge about the Valerie Plame affair and all of that. And said, but take a look at the picture. And Patricia looked, took one look. She said, oh, look at those eyes. They're puffing. He has huge pressure behind his eyes. I bet he was, a, he was suffering from high blood pressure and something just blew up. Maybe. Although I like the conspiracy thing a lot. <laughs> you like that one, huh? Well, you know, it doesn't take much. You know, a little uh, prussic acid and there's other techniques to make you look like you had a heart attack. And it can't be traced. Well, I don't know why I, they want to kill him. I mean, you know. Well, there's a lot riding on that. He, you know, he is mentioned in a lot of these documents. Uh, with this, this Valerie Plame thing is no joke. I mean, there's people going to go to jail over this. There's people sitting in jail now. I think. Perhaps. Generally speaking, they just uh, keep denying it, and then it goes away. But maybe. Whatever the case is, yeah. Well, and he was a big. I guess he was an. He was pretty neutral. You know, he's been criticized by the right wing talk show guys for being a left wing character because of all his background. He was like he worked. He was a politician or worked in politics most of his life, and then he became a journalist later. But I always thought he was pretty, pretty good as a uh, a neutral uh, uh, commentator. Well, to me, he was you know, just as important to my Sundays as uh, the Financial Times and uh, PG Tips. You know, I get the uh, I get the podcast version, which downloads around uh, five or six o'clock on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and I always enjoyed watching it. You know, there's only two shows. It's like the McLaughlin Group, which reminds me of a political, uh, you know, like Dvorak. Uh, what's <laughs> McLaughlin and uh, and Meet the Wrong. Bye bye. Yeah, McLaughlin. I saw him in New York once. You know, he just looks like. I mean, he does look like a cranky geek. Yeah, right. Uh, I think more than I do. I hope. Yes. No worries, John. 
So um, anyway, so that's kind of the Oberman thing. That's about the best we can do. Is he's just essentially an Obama, you know, uh, uh, guy. Period. That's what it is. So and, we should, so uh, we should uh, for the, you know, just to go back on that. I really like to be able to get in on, in on these conference calls. I mean, that's that's the shit that I. Well, want to you know, hear. there's got to be somebody out there that's got a dial-in number. You would expect. I mean, they, they send it to and all it the And it seems to me that if you have a dial, and here's what that bothers me about the media again. If you got a dial-in number, uh, why aren't you recording this thing and then posting it someplace? Uh, just, you know, I think it'd be more interesting than your interpretation of it. Hell yeah. I had a call the, uh, yesterday with a guy who wrote a... Uh, a, a, the latest book on the death of Marilyn Monroe. Uh-huh. So I'm going to post the audio of it. I have the whole conversation there, about 18 and a half minutes. And it's actually quite interesting. So it's we, quite interesting. You, was this just a chat or did you interview yeah, him? It's a, no, he, you know, he, it was an interview. So it was an oh, out-and-out cool. out interview. So I, uh, I ran it as such, but I didn't really have to say much. He's one of those guys with a million stories. He's an old, uh, I guess he worked with the coroner's office or something during that era. He's an older guy. And... Uh, It'll be, uh, I'll, I'll be posting it probably Monday or Tuesday. Oh, cool. Uh, are you going to do that on Tech 5 or just on Dvorak or where are you going to do that? I'll just do it on Dvorak. Ah, cool. It's not really a Tech 5. It's, you know, Tech 5 has got to be about tech. There's nothing high tech about Marilyn Monroe being, you know, cajoled into killing herself, which is basically <laughs> That's the theory. <laughs> That's the theory? Okay. Well, the guy wrote a book on, on how there are personality types that are prone to suicide, and they often match up with personality types. In other words, they get married to or they hang out with people who drive them to suicide. <laughs> he actually wrote a book on this years ago, as I think it was his college dissertation for his PhD, or thesis. Or is it a dissertation? One's a, well, whatever you do for the PhD. And uh, dissertation. So... Uh, Anyway, so he's, he says these people match up a lot, and he had examples of how one woman uh, uh, married one of these pro, you know, these one of these soft males who was always threatening to kill himself, and he was serious about it. And so one day, she, she, with the comment that you know, if you ever left me, I'd kill myself. Uh-huh. If you ever left me, I'd kill myself. And so uh, she wrote him a note one day. He says this is documented, by the way. He, he wrote, she wrote him a note. Says, "I'm leaving you." And then she left a gun there, and her last count was, you know what to do. <laughs> and he shot himself. No, shit. Oh, cry. Oh, man. You know, with all this, with all this, uh, with all this Marilyn Monroe stuff, because I think there's also some, um, some new footage, unseen footage, which is being uh, auctioned on Monday or Tuesday. Um, there's a lot of pictures that, you know, now in the press of Marilyn Monroe again that kind of heats up. And I was looking at one of her more famous pictures. It was a really big, it was on a... In a restaurant, in uh, in the bathroom on the wall, you know, as you do, you're kind of sitting there, you know, or standing. I'm sorry, uh, doing your business. And I'm looking at this picture, and I'm like, you know, she wasn't really all that hot. Does that you know, make any I've sense? Seen, well, it, it, by today's standards, you know, it's hard to say. She had. Uh, I've seen a lot of photos of her because you can't not. And she, I thought she was really had a really pretty face. Yeah, but she, in a, in a milfy way, but not like in a in a young sex bomb way. If you look at her hands and her fingers, and you look at uh, the condition of her skin around her uh, around her neck, I mean, I'm really picky about this. I'm really looking at it. And Apparently, like, yeah. But well, you know, I had I was there for like two minutes. I got nothing better to do, and uh, and so I'm really examining this. I'm like, you know, 
And also, maybe I should say this. Maybe it's because I've become so used to looking at these photoshopped, completely, you know, unnatural looking beauties that are in today's media. This is what women actually look like, honestly. Um, And they didn't use any of those techniques back in the day. Maybe it's that. Yeah, it could be. Although you might just be hypercritical, so that we, which, <laughs> which, which is probably more like it. So meanwhile, I mean, so this reminds me hey, of a hey, story. John, hey, John, fuck you very much. Okay, your next story. Yes. So uh, I'm going. I'm in Amsterdam with this group of people, and we're floating around the area where all the hookers are, or, or these girls in those little booths. There's like rows of them, and they're all over the place. So we're yes. just roaming around. It's known as the red light district. Ah. Anyway, but it's the one that for the tourists, you know, that apparently there's a couple of them there. And it is, but it's like a bunch of people, guys walking by. I don't see anybody even doing any business, but it's kind of funny to walk by. So I'm walking by, just as I'm about to turn a corner, I'm look, I look, I'm with a bunch of these other people in this group, and I, and I look inside, and, I, and this girl's in there, and I just make this, the comment, I said, she's not that hot. <laughs> And so I turned the corner. Apparently, I guess the windows there are so thin. She heard you, you say know, I didn't it. Think she was, I didn't think she was, was hear it, heard that. <laughs> so she apparently comes roar, roaring out of the little booth thing and starts screaming at all this group of people. Meanwhile, I've turned the corner. I'm gone. Oh. And so she's just berating them and cussing them up and down and just this, this the way the tor- story was told to me. And then they come finally catch up to me and they say, you son of a bitch, you've, you know what, you got us into trouble because of this <laughs> comment. I was completely oblivious. And uh, uh-huh. she wasn't that hot, though. That was the point. <laughs> Yeah, you got to be careful, man. What you say? She was kind of sensitive, but now I know not to say anything around those that thing because they can hear you. Yeah, they don't understand you anymore because now they're all from Croatia. They don't they don't speak uh, any English or Dutch. It's uh, they've ruined the whole vibe. Yeah, I've heard bad things. Yeah, it's it's really it's it's no more fun there. I'm reliably informed. Oh, here's, well, here's know, one it's... for you. So, um, <clears throat> big thing happening over here. Um, by the way, Croatian women are pretty hot looking. The ones when I went, I go to well, maybe the ones they're shipping out aren't. Maybe that's what the deal is. That's possible. But I'll tell you, when I was when I was in Croatia, I've been there a couple of times because I write for a magazine there, so I go there and float around. There, there are more women there that are dead ringers for Natalie Wood than any place I've ever been. It's unbelievable. You know what? I'm going to send you this link right now. I got a link from a guy. And it was uh, the link. It was titled uh, uh, "Iranian Women Are Hot," and he's got this. Uh... <laughs> no, no, man. You well, gotta... they're Persians. The Persian women, you know, oh, are traditionally hot. Holy crap! You got to see this, man. It's like they are, are they ter- terrible looking. There's no. They're serious. Captain Chris sent it to me here. Oh, it's a YouTube video. Here we go. Hold on, Captain Chris, who's a commercial pilot, and he sent this to me. He says, "Dude, I I so know well, you." Well, you should send it. You should probably send a copy to. You should send a copy to Bubba. Uh, you mean the link? He'll post it. Yeah, yeah. Well, hold on. Let me just—I'll just send it in through to you. You can because I don't think there's even sound with it, so you can just take a look at it. Um, but wow, Whew. smoking hot is what I'd say. Well, it's probably a good thing they're being kept down by the mullahs. <laughs> I, uh, as it were. Well. It's just kind of sad when I think about it, you know, because there's all this talk about bombing Iran, striking out, 
And, and I only realized just the other day when I actually looked at, uh, at Google Earth, I can't remember what I was looking for, but you know, it finally hit me when I saw um, Afghanistan and where it lies um, in position to Iraq. And then all of a sudden I understood why we're actually in Afghanistan. You know, we're, well, su- we're surrounding Iran. Well, we seem to be. Oh, oh yeah. People dude. need to look at them. You know, people don't, you know, Americans in particular, we don't look at maps enough. I forgot to tell you, John, this, I got a really big piece of news for you. I got a scoop of Rooney. Oh, good. So, um, I, I was allowed to ask on behalf of my Dutch audience, a question to the president of Iran, uh, Mr. Karzai. No, he's not the president of Iran. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Afghanistan. Right. And uh, so you want to know the question? Yes, of course you do. The question was, which, I, which uh, was chosen from many entries, was how are you going to beat the Taliban? Which I thought was a, a genius question because, of course, it has a false bottom, seeing as the Russians tried to beat the Taliban for 10 years. Um, and, you know, now the, the deal is that the coalition is supposed to stay in Afghanistan um, until 2010, at which point we pull out our, well, that's what the, the deal is. Everyone pulls out their troops and then uh, the, um, you know, the Afghan army and, the, and their police should be strong enough to take care of their own. And he answered back. He said, uh, you know what? Uh, I probably don't think we can actually defeat him. <laughs> he, said it, he said it outright. He said, I don't, I don't think we can defeat him by 2010. We, we won't be able to do it. You know, so here we are pouring billions into, into the country on a promise that we can get out by 2010. And the guy literally says, you know, I don't think we can do it. Well, he's probably right. And then, I mean, uh, I think we had our shot at it. I don't understand. You know, one of the things I've always thought is that I don't know why we even send troops into these places. We should just send assassins <laughs> and uh, and 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 cruise missiles. So these guys, so the Taliban takes over and they, you know, they're, in, they're having a big meeting. You just bomb them well, and then he, you he, come back. But, you know, but here's the whole problem. The follow up to his answer was the the core. The core uh, Taliban is in Pakistan, he said. They're not even in Afghanistan. So Yeah, no, I think that's yeah, I think everybody knows that. Right. Yeah, you know, but how messed up is that? We don't have any troops yeah. in Pakistan. Yeah, I know, and every time we do everything, something over there they all get all bent out of shape. Yeah, and they got nuclear weapons. I mean, how about let's let's go after those guys. You know, screw the rest of them. We got Well, we've we're in bed with them. Yeah, why? How? How, how are we in bed with them? Well, that had, that goes way back because what happened years and years and years ago was that India, uh, during the Soviet Union era, India became allies with Russia, and that's where they bought all their weaponry and everything from. And so, because of that, we decided well, we have to be allies with Pakistan uh. because there was no religious issue at the time; it was just all you know uh, uh, geopolitics. Yeah. And so the so the Indians were allied with the Russia the whole time, and in fact, most of their weaponry and all the jets and everything they were buying everything from Russia, and so uh, we got in bed with Pakistan at that point. And uh, you know, even though when you started looking at the, analyzing it, 
if any, if we're close to any country, it's India because they speak well. They speak English in Pakistan too, but but they're you know more connected to the British. That most of the people that uh, immigrate to the United States are more likely to be Indian than Pakistani. Uh, you know, we eat Indian food. Uh, the British or like eat Indian food as if it was Chinese food here in the U.S. I mean, they have take to go, take out, and delivery, and it's amazing. And uh, but. Because of the geopolitics of it, that's the reason. Hmm. I'm sure it could be clarified by one of the experts out there, but essentially, that was the, it. Was the alliances of those of the Soviet era? We're all going to a hell in a handbasket, man. It's a joke. <laughs> well, you know, you know me, Mister Conspiracy Theory. All I can see is you know just more and more proof that this is all about money and control over people and control over territories and you know forces at work that uh, aren't necessary to the politicians we think are running the show well i mean i think there's elements of that but you know a lot of it is uh, just the way things have evolved because the distribute i mean if you look at i don't think i mean there is a control issue this banks love to get in on certain deals and i mean right now the oil price, I think that's going to end shortly, by the way, because it finally, it looks like they just passed the legislation needed to... Oh, the uh, close the loophole on the... On close the, the Enron loophole. loophole. Yeah. And that was, there was a piece of it left open and so they could do, you know, all the, and the guys who are the bad actors here, again, we're, we're talking about Dubai and the London uh, commodities people that are the ones racking these uh, oil prices up. Then when it turns around, which is going to be Probably uh, right after summer. I think it's I think still, I think it's still going to go higher before it turns around, John. I think they're just going to go for it. Well, I think it's right now. It's going to be harder because of their, their scrutiny has changed. And uh, but I mean, you can. Th I mean, I, a lot of my smart money friends are already uh, going short. Uh, you know, at about one hundred and forty. Short, short the oil, oil. Thing. right? Hoping to catch it on the downside because when it starts to go down. I think it, I think you might be right. It could go to 160, 170. I don't think it's going to make 200 now. But when it starts to turn around, starts to slide, it's going to fall so fast you won't know what happened. Right. And then everybody's going to go, oh, gee, well, that's interesting. The thing that's weird to me is how the public is like bamboozled. Like, I mean, the, the best example was the Enron, uh, you know, the energy crisis that we'd had years ago when they were having these rolling blackouts in California, which made no logical sense. And they had all these all these writers, you know, all the newspapers. Well, we don't have enough power. And people are using too much. There's all these these rationales for this when the whole thing was rigged and they were just turning the power off. They were shorting us. They were basically cutting us off so we could have to pay more. And nobody was paying any attention to that. There was all this, you know, all the greenies came out going on and on about, oh, my God, we, you know, we have to conserve more energy. We have to do this. We have to do that when it's just the whole thing was a scam. scam. Yeah. If you've never just, seen Smartest Guys in the Room, which is the Enron story produced by um uh what's the Ma what's the Maverick guy name? What's his name? I don't the, the Smartest Guys in the Room. I can't remember who he, produced it. The guy that. the guy the guy who sold broadcast.com to Yahoo. The Mavericks uh, owner. Uh, uh, Cu uh, Cuban, Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban? Right. Mark Cuban produced that. Yeah, that's his uh, oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, it's called the smart, for him. Yeah, it's called the smartest guys in the room, and you will literally hear recordings of these energy traders. Um, uh, that's with a, a D for Delta, and the, and literally hear them saying, "All right, man, screw those guys. We're just going to turn them off. All right, ready? Yeah, black them out, black them out." You know, it was like fucking crazy. 
Right. Meanwhile, who was writing about that? I mean, who was investigating this? Where's all the reporters? Where are the journalists? No, they're all talking about how we should be more green. Yeah, there you go. And it's happening again right before our very eyes. It's the big institutions. They're all, you know, they're rolling over these these uh, investments in oil commodities month over month. They keep t- tapping it up and they're screwing everyone. They're absolutely screwing everyone. And, and I bet you there's a recording somewhere that will surface in 10 years from now where you hear these guys going, yeah, fuck them. Let's take the oil to 170. Come on, we can do it. Screw everybody. You You watch. That'll come out. Oh, yeah, it probably will. After the fact and everyone, then there'll be the next scam, you know, and these things come and go and then nobody picks up on it. And the funny thing that bother, what bothers me the most, and it really bothered me with the rolling blackouts during that era, is that it was obvious yeah. that it was a scam. Yeah. I mean, you don't have you don't go from having, you know, 24 seven great power to having rolling blackouts <laughs> every month. Uh, oh, even when it's not a you know, there's no there's no weirdness going on. It's not like we're having a blizzard. Yeah. Well, no, too many air conditioners are on. Turn there's no air, air conditioners <laughs> in California. We don't use them. No, but that's what the story was. There's too much air conditioning being used. Yeah, don't use your air conditioners. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And nobody, and we had a governor, Gray Davis, who was a, an out-and-out out idiot. And he was like, didn't, I don't know who he had working for him, but there was he was buying right into it. Oh, yes, you know, this is a problem because we don't have enough power capability, generation capability. And, you know, this is going to be the way it is from now on. In fact, they were telling us this was going to be the way it's going to be forever. Rolling blackouts in California that are never going to end. Big fucking and nobody scam. Thought this was like a little odd. Yeah, and no one, no one got the story. We should go back anyway. and look and see if anyone did get the story or not. If anyone ever looked into that to any depth. And how ironic is it? By well, the way? you know, there may have been some alternative press. Maybe some alternative press picked it up. Uh, so this, I don't remember seeing anything. So this is the thing that uh, they weren't. Bu- this is the thing that, that that I've learned, and which is just is bugging the shit out of me. So we have you know this show, which uh, you know we got I don't know like thirty five, forty thousand people listen to it on a weekly basis, maybe more. I haven't looked in a while. Um, you know, and 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 we're discussing a lot of stuff. We're talking about a lot of things, but it has so little impact. Whereas you know, I get on a little freaking rinky dink radio station in Holland, which is tenth in the ratings. No one gives a shit about, and all of a sudden, I get all this access. Doors open up. I can get any kind of member of parliament, ministers, you know, anything I want, just because it's radio, because it's it's quote mass media. It, it, oh, it pisses me off. We're so far from the tipping point on any of this stuff. It's all just it's it's noise in the ether. Unfortunately, I think we are you know opening up. Uh, individuals and citizens' minds to other thinking and, you know, kind of red pill, like, you know, like, hey, dude, there there might be something else going on here. But it really has so little impact, and I'm so frustrated by it. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. I figure it's got no impact. But at some point, we can sell these people something. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yeah, now you're talking. All right. That's the American spirit, I gotta get John. some books done or something. At least we have an audience, for God's sake. Hey, speaking of books, have you read McCullen's book yet? The uh, the former White House press secretary. You know, I've seen that guy. You know, I, I, that guy bothers me. Me too. Oh, thank mean, you for saying that. I'm happy you. Said oh, that. by the way, I was in New York uh, and talked with my agent, and I was talking to some other literary people in the book business, and. Um, 
it, it, I, the story behind the book was I, I don't think is necessarily uh, known. Apparently, he McClellan had this manuscript that he's been he was he was schlepping around Manhattan agencies uh, for quite a while. Hmm. And it was either the publisher or one of the agents that said, "Look, unless you come up with some stuff in here that's a little more, uh, scandalous. you know, scandalous, we can't publish it because nobody's going to buy this boring book you wrote." <laughs> so he uh, went back to the drawing board and came up with some stuff, and then they made him do some more along those same lines. And so the whole thing was just created for the purposes of selling the book. And I don't think he's sincere about it. I think he's, and when you see him, he seems very sheepish. And yeah. he still talks about how great the president is. Yeah, you know, I've heard him in three interviews now. I heard him on, uh, what's uh, Terry Gross, uh, NPR, um, whatever that's yeah. called. Uh, I also yeah, heard him on yeah, fresh, fresh Air. Fresh Air. I heard him on um, another NPR on the media. Uh, I've seen a couple of interviews. He has exactly the same story, exactly the same answers. He's like a, he's like a robot. And, and it all seems to focus on two things. Uh, which is annoying because you really rarely get any real content. In fact, I don't believe there's any content to this book because the things are um, the so-called. Uh, he says, "Well, it's very clear that the White House uh, had a meeting in the uh, you know in the Situation Room or whatever and came up with talking points about me. And the talking points were going to be: this is not the." Uh, uh, McCollum that I know, this sounds like someone else uh, wrote this book. And of course, you know, everyone you know plays the, uh, uh, the just like John Stewart does, plays the bits of all the different um, uh, commenta commentators saying exactly that. And you know, and and they all feel betrayed by this guy saying, "Well, you lied to us." And you know, on on December thirteenth, uh, two thousand and five, you said this, and it's like, you know, thank you, hon. It's like who who? It's just like get to the content of the book. It's not there. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I have no interest. I mean, I've seen him interviewed. I've heard the same things you're talking about. I saw the John Stewart ridicule. Uh, it's just I don't. There's no nothing there. It's just a you know, it's it's a publicity stunt, and I don't even not even impressed by it. But anyway, the back story is that he what his real tale originally was was a just dull. Like he is. He's a dull guy. Yeah. I always thought he was a snot when he was the press secretary. Well, so the, the, but the point he's trying to make is that um, he too got sucked into the way things are done in uh, in politics in general, and and certainly Washington specifically. And uh, that's no message. No one gives a shit. Everyone knows it's like that. Yeah, I know. It's not not breaking any new grounds. That's for sure. There's a lot of good books. The problem is there's a lot of good books about this administration. Lots of them, and a lot of them end up the authors show up on the Stewart Show. And this book is just a smokescreen book, and it just it takes a you know it takes money out of the pockets out of the writers who are actually doing good work and puts it into this guy's pockets, and it doesn't accomplish anything. I think it's a bad idea. I don't think people should buy this book. And by the way, if you are in the United Kingdom. And I believe tomorrow, Sunday, the uh, that'll be the fifteenth. Uh, I believe George Bush is coming to visit uh, the United Kingdom. I think he's on his farewell tour, and there's some huge demonstrations being planned. <laughs> it is. It's is just... he going to be with Cher? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's... going to be. It's going to be uh, President Bush, Cher, and Bill Gates. <laughs> yeah, they're all saying goodbye again. Um. So I, I think there's some huge demonstrations planned um, uh, for his arrival here. I think it's I think it's tomorrow. So it'll be interesting. To yeah, see. yeah. Those demonstrations have not been effective. No. I guess they make people feel good, but I think it's a pointless waste of time.
Well, it, uh, I think when people want to express their emotions, that's good. You know, you know, you know, when people say, uh, did it help? No, but it made me feel good. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, a, I that's guess important. that's okay. That's important. And if they have creative sign signage, I think that would be cool. Yeah. Creative signage. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I don't know. So what else we got? Anything? I think we're done. Um, let me see. Um, yeah, this just in. Germany and France moved to isolate Ireland in the European Union. <laughs> what? Is, 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 is that what it says, really? Yeah, The Guardian. Germany and France have, have moved to isolate Ireland in the European Union, scrambling for ways to resuscitate the Lisbon Treaty after the Irish dealt the architects of the Union's new regime a crushing defeat. Refusing oh, to so, take... so I, oh, I get it. So you, it's like we have the vote. It's just like it's like making a bet with some guy. He says, okay, I'll flip it for it. Heads. Okay, two out of three. Yeah. Okay, okay. Heads, heads. No, no, we're, we're three out of five. Three out of five. Yeah, heads I win, tails you lose. Come on, boom, boom. Come on, okay, we'll do five out of seven, and then we'll do it. Uh, I mean, you it's just like, give me a break. It's nuts. There are local as well as European elections in Ireland next year, and Fianna Fail will not risk having to hold another referendum. Well, not within the next 12 months, at least. You know what? These guys, you know, and you know what? For all I know, this may be a great, a great treaty. You know, why don't they just spend, you know, 500 million euros and go explain it to people? Write a freaking... Or rewrite it so it's in simpler language. Yeah, just, you know, give a, give the guy, blue-collar guy, a break. We talked about this last week. A good contract is 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 clear. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is. It's a contract. It's not a constitution. It's a contract. Correct. You know, constitution is like, like the U.S. has. There's other ones. Uh, it's simple. You know, it's simple. Then you can work with it. This is a is a giant contract, obviously, but it's not clear. Now you should take a look I mean, at it, John. You should. You should. I'll send you the link. You should just take a look at it, <clears throat> and just if you want to laugh, because you won't get through two pages of it. I, I'm getting. I'll plow, actually, I give it. To, my wife likes reading contracts, so maybe I'll give it to her, and she can plow through it. That'd be great. Maybe she she can give us some info on it. I don't understand it. Um, so the only two things I think we have left open, one is on your side, is because uh, we really, it was not well explained here in Europe. Um, Bush suffered some form of defeat over the uh, prisoners at Guantanamo Bay. Ah, yeah, there's, this is a, this one had, this is actually an interesting situation. Uh, the Supreme Court said that, uh, that the U.S. government, uh, it has, but it essentially took the sovereignty of the country and moved it offshore in some funny way. And it depends on how you interpret it. There's two interpretations. One says this is a horrible thing that, that happened because essentially it gives rights, American citizen rights outside of the country to prisoners, but not necessarily citizens. But isn't Guantanamo and, Bay just like an embassy? Isn't because you know, if you go to an embassy in any foreign country, that Atlanta it's not is, an embassy. Yeah, but it's not an embassy. No, I know. It's I, a no, piece. I, of, I understand. It's a territory, right? right. Okay. And uh, but it's considered on. It's there's. It's a sketchy place because it's you know really part of Cuba and it was part of some agreement and it's hard to say what its status is in term in terms of U.S. law. What is the deal? I mean, uh, right there. 
That's you know we we, we kind of gloss over it now, Guantanamo Bay. But why the hell do we have a prison in Cuba? Can we make it Texas or Florida or why does it have to be? Well, Cuba? then it, then you'd have then you would well that's the reason because then you would have a a, a sovereignty issue. I mean, you would have. U.S. law apply. Okay, this it. is essentially a military base. Like, say it would be one in Germany. Say you have a military base in Germany, and uh, and you put somebody in the brig uh, that is a German. Right. Does he have American citizens' rights to all to due process? When he's not an American, he's not in America. He's in a germ. He's in a in a military base prison in Germany. Right. I got it. Uh, and so that's what they've said. Yeah, he did. It. So this has become a real problem, uh, mainly because they think it's a slippery slope of, you know, you know, just it just could be in it, 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 the total resolution of it is yet to be determined. But it's uh, it, it seemed to be a setback because Bush didn't want this because it's going to complicate matters. And so uh, and it was just a straight party vote. Uh, the liberals on the court voted for it, and the conservatives voted against it. And the uh, the weird thing was is that the votes against it required a number of different dissensions. It was not just one. There was, I think, at least two or three of different interpretations of why it's bad, why it shouldn't go this way. So uh, that's I, I, that's the best I can explain. And the only reason I can even explain it that well is because I was watching uh, night, you know, the one of the PBS shows that had two people arguing both sides of it. So uh, the big thing in the UK this week was that um, a law was passed, which has been a, a huge uh, discussion point for months, maybe even longer than that, extending the period the government can hold you captive, uh, in, in, incarcerate you without process uh, from 28 days to 42 days under the uh, anti-terrorism laws in the United Kingdom. Hmm. Which uh, forty two days quite a long time to go without uh, without due process. It's a really long time. I mean, it's like you know, a month and a half of just sitting on your ass. Yeah, and uh, and you know, uh, there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, it seems to me as if you got somebody in jail, you should have a reason for it. Yeah, well, that would be the argument. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just going to incarcerate people randomly, which you could do under these circumstances. You grab somebody, you don't like them, which I always think is, you know, well, you you know, I always think there's a lot of this is going to be eventually politically motivated. You get some despot, you know, running things. Says, okay, well, there's one of my critics. It's we got uh, 30 days for the election. Throw him in jail for 45 days. Right. Or you get some non-likable guy like, uh, let me see, oh, um, Adam Curry. And you're saying, you know, let's just fuck with this guy. Let's just... Uh, call him a terrorist or a suspect and we'll throw him in the in the brig for uh, 42 days yeah you, it would certainly shut me up <laughs> it would <laughs> i'd be like okay okay my wife is so worried about this john i can't tell you because you know, she's really, worried that they're gonna throw you in jail for 42 days because you're a loud mouth no she thinks she's afraid they're gonna throw me in jail sabotage my airplane you know uh sick that which of course they've done consistently um try and screw me for you know taxes it, this is my life you know the tax thing i've been investigated Eight nine times in my life in my professional career, it's 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 crazy. It's the problem with with I mean the, the airplane thing bothers me too. After having read the Confessions of an Economic Hitman, because that's a methodology they seem to like yep, to use. They, yeah, oh yeah, they whoever sure they, like they are, yeah, they like but the sabotage. Point, but the point is, is that for the most part, 
I think your wife should be assured that you're really part of the machine that uh, they need. You're not really a, uh, a, a force that makes things not work or, or that try, you're not a wrench that's being thrown in the works. I mean, I hate to tell you this. No, no, well, but, and I understand what you're, you're saying. But you're actually a mecha, you're part of the, the part of the system, I have to say that I probably am too, that actually keeps the thing, you know, I mean, we bring up these, 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 these criticisms, but they're not like the same thing as plotting to overthrow the government or doing something really wacky, which is d- dangerous to the status quo. Uh, we're not dangerous. I mean, in any way. In fact, we're probably laughable to some of these guys, and if they ever listen to the show. And uh, so, I would I tell you, I think your wife's fears are unfounded. Not that somebody in the government might not want to screw with you in terms of like investigating you for your taxes, because you're, you know, you, you lived a high life. Well, now that's somewhat. You're com- always flying back and forth, and back and forth, and back. you're always flying back and forth. You must be transporting money. It must be. Let's check this guy. Now, you know, <laughs> but what you said there is, in a way, uh, comforting, and in a way, extremely disappointing. Of course, and I hope that one day, you know, because I, I think I'm finally starting to find my calling in life, John. I hate to say it. But I'm really, you know, I, I clearly I have enough time on my hands to, you know, to to download shit and look at it, and I'm really interested, and I'm and I'm interested in passing on this information to other people. So yeah, I don't think I'm not like a I'm not like a monkey wrench that I throw into the machine, but I'm more like uh, a guy who has a, a a pot of water and everyone's sitting in it, and I'm just turning up the heat very slowly, and other people start start to turn up the heat, and maybe one day it'll come to a boil, and maybe something will happen. I really hope so. Yes. This is this is your this a Ron Paul type of guy, you know. You're kind of an annoyance to some people <laughs> because you point stuff out, but that's it. You're an annoyance, is what you are, and that's that's, that's not worth dealing with. I mean, you know, the, the annoyances are necessary. They're good. They're part of the mechanism. Well, maybe I'll strike on something one of these days and become more than. <laughs> you have to. <laughs> I'm not seeing it. <laughs> Thanks, you know. buddy. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm not, this is not going to happen. Yeah, but if someone's got to say something. You know, I can't just. Well, you sit can around. say all you want. The fact is that the the mechanisms long since realize that saying things, unless you're really good at it, not that you're not, but I'm talking about in the, in a in a Lenin uh, Leninist style or Trotsky type of thing, which doesn't work, wouldn't work anymore. Uh, I don't know what the mechanism is to get people riled up. I mean, let's face it, the, the public has become extremely passive, and 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 you're just, you know, it's just a, a pissing in the wind with some of this stuff, and you you know, no matter I'm, how good, you know, I'm good not, your information. Yeah, yeah, right now, first of all, yes, you're probably right, but I'm not going to accept that as you know, a reason not to continue, I, not that you're saying that, but... You know, I do see that every single day there's another person who who will send me an email and say, you know, dude, thanks. You opened up my eyes. At least I'm thinking a little bit about this stuff now. And maybe, maybe one day, you know, we'll we'll be able to catch like this European Union thing. I truly believe that that citizens around the world are smarter than the old fashioned guys in Brussels, as we as we discussed, or the old fashioned way of doing things. And they're saying, you know, fuck no, we're not going to do that. We don't understand what it is, so screw it. And I think that people are awakening, not enough of them. But if we keep, well, the Irish, the Irish woke up, even though they don't listen to our show. The Irish didn't wake up. The 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 Irish. Well, they are suspicious. You know, they're like, wait a minute, this just smells bad. But because of big internet campaigns, uh, and there's been a a ton of them on a ton of online uh, action, uh, telling people to say no. That is working. I think you got to believe that some of that is spilling over. 
Yeah. Well, no, I, I'm not saying it's completely a waste of time. <laughs> you uh, just made me feel so fucking worthless. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying it's a lot of it is uh, there's a wheel spinning mechanism involved in most of this kind of complaining. I'm not complaining. I'm, I'm po- just saying. I'm pointing out. Anyway, go Europe. Go Holland. You guys will kick ass in the finals. See, this is what all this boils down to. This is where they know where they got you. That's all people care about is football. I think that's true. Uh, or at least over there, over here. Actually, over here, too, except it's a different kind of football. But in, when the football season, our football, American football, starts, that's all people care about. As, although I have to say the Y generation, the younger kids coming up, don't care at all about it. I think there's no. going to be a, a huge problem. Yeah, I think it's, Go ahead. I think there's going to be a, a drop-off in the interest in professional sports uh, somewhere along the line. It's going to be in the next 10 or 20 years, and it's going to be dramatic. I'll, because tell, you, I think I'll it, tell you where we're going to see it first. The first time we're going to see it is with the Olympics. The Olympics, I predict, will have nowhere near the viewership, uh, despite the coverage, nowhere near the viewership that uh, it's, it's enjoyed in the past. I don't think people care anymore. Well, there's one other reason for that, of course. Yeah, China. Well, no, you're going to have the camera up in the stadium, and then they're going to—they won't be able to get through the smog with the zoom lens. <laughs> so it's all going to have to be done with handhelds, and nobody can run that fast. So I mean, it's going to be—you know—tough. What did the Romans used to say? Give the people bread and games, or what is the saying? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Games, they love games. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know. Every time, by the way, I keep I point this, this is the last thing I'm going to say, but I keep pointing this out. When you see these reports coming in from China, where the correspondents talking about the Olympics, just look behind him. Yeah, you cannot see anything. It's just like <laughs> these guys in a smoke storm. Hi, everybody. We're here at the Olympics. Beijing this is the eye, in the, this is the eye in the sky at the Beijing Olympic Stadium, and uh, well, we see uh, absolutely uh, nothing. <laughs> you know the Chinese they, they and they're supposed to clear it up by shutting down all the factories and everything. And I don't know if that's going to help because they're going to have to they're, they're going to they're have to shut down the factories that are east of Beijing and there's too many of them. And most of the guys won't shut down anyway. Then they're going to have to shut down the cars and all the freeways. The, the town is crawling with you know it's bumper to bumper and it's a, and, a, and it's got a a, a bowl like effect. So they have to keep the cars out of the town. I mean, it's, I don't know how they're going to do it. Well, John, no matter what, and no matter if it makes no difference, I enjoy doing this with you every week. It's a good show. (laughs) And maybe one day we can make some money off of these people. (laughs) 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 That's the worst thing you could ever say. I can see Uh, the emails already. They know know that they they feel guilty listening to this show, knowing that we're dying here. Yeah, we're dying. Excuse me, I just stepped out of my own plane. Hold on a second. Uh, I'm hurting so bad. Oh, boy. Oh, he might get a tax problem. Yeah, people don't give a shit about it. Oh, by the way, Monday, I think Monday, big news from Mevio. Be on the lookout for it. I'm not I will. To, I'm not allowed to say what. You know what it is. I'm not allowed to say what. Well, it's a good teaser. Yeah, cool. All right. All right. What's coming up this week for you, John? Uh, I'm going to be around all week. There's an AMD meeting I'm having because I, you know, have just my penance for writing a nasty article. <laughs> so I have to like listen to the lectures and that's on Monday. And then the rest of the week, I'm thinking I may go off to the, uh, no, actually I'm going to probably be around the whole week. I'll probably just be doing nothing. I got to clean up my office. <laughs> a, yeah. 
I've heard you say that about for two years now, I think. It's pathetic. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Well, I think I'm coming out um, maybe for 4th of July. What are you doing on 4th uh, of July? I'm going up north for 4th of July. Oh, shit. Crap. I got to find a good hang for 4th of July. We have to be at the, uh, we're doing the 4th of July parade. The, the, our deli is, has to be in the 4th of July parade. You know, we, one person is going to be wearing a pig costume and then another one a chicken, you know, for a chicken sandwich. I don't know. Uh, okay. So you won't see me. All right, then I'll have to replan my trip. I guess that's it. All right, coming to you from the Curry Manor in the United Kingdom, I'm Adam Curry. And from foggy Northern California, I'm John C. Dvorak. We'll talk to you again next week, right here on No Agenda.